Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 528. Today's show is brought to you by Feels. Our guest today is Peter Von Fischke, who is an independent journalist covering health and disability and the host of the Happy Warrior podcast. Peter Von Fischke has just written an investigative journalism piece on the opioid crisis in the New York Daily News titled, A Painful Struggle. Opioids can be dangerous, but restrictions or a ban are worse. For the last nine years, this country has suffered from a growing overdose crisis caused by illicit fentanyl, a.k.a. the opioid crisis, which is responsible for killing more than 80,000 Americans in 2020 alone. The crisis started from good intentions by public health authorities. In 2009, the Obama FDA forced Purdue Pharma to reformulate their popular pain medication OxyContin, which had been the primary substitute to produce heroin for the user on the cheap. In theory, forcing a reformulation would make conversion impossible, thus pushing users away from abuse and addiction. This turned out to be an enormous mistake. Since the CDC is mentioned in this story, I reached out to contacts I have at the CDC and have a statement from them at the end of the program. Stay tuned for that. But please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, journalist Peter Vishke. Peter Vishke, welcome to the program. Hey, it is great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, I appreciate your time. I think we have an important subject to discuss, and um, it's related to your recent article, uh, the title of which is A Painful Struggle, Opioids Can Be Dangerous, But Restrictions or a Ban Are Worse. We're going to put links up to where people can find out more about the specific article in the New York Daily News. But I wonder if you would just bring us current because, you know, I've I've, I've just read a, a section from the article. Many things kind of went wrong with this opioid crisis. The ultimate formulation, reformulation that the Obama administration forced on Purdue Pharma brought all kinds of issues along with it. It turned out to be an enormous mistake, as you point out in your article. So maybe bring us current. From that point, what were the mistakes that were that occurred and what's the impact at this point? Yeah, so for the overdose crisis, the opioid crisis that most people are familiar with from uh, books, film documentaries, the media, it did start, like you say, with the Obama FDA. They, like you said, their idea was we will cut people's access to becoming addicted by messing with OxyContin, which um, besides being a popular pain medication, it made a really good cheap substitute to something that was kind of like heroin. And so the FDA thought if they would make it so it's impossible for people to to uh, break it down and re- and uh, mix it up. It, it, you mix it with you crush it, you mix it with water, and it would become a gel. That would that would do the trick. Unfortunately, that was a really bad idea because it ended up pe- pushing people onto much more dangerous substances. And eventually, at the same time, um, fentanyl came about. It's a really cheap drug on the illicit market, and you can make just a very small amount of it. You will get a lot of use out of it. For example, my hometown paper, The Argus Leader, uh, when they said we made our biggest bug trust of fentanyl ever in the state of South Dakota, it was one gram. Wow. So you do not need you do not need very much at all to do damage there, and that's that is the part of the opioid crisis that is um, that is so lethalist because it doesn't take very much fentanyl at all to uh, do irreparable harm to someone. So in the face of the overdose crisis and uh, all the things that went with it, like the media attention, there were lots of books. Uh, J.D. Vance's uh, 
book comes to mind. Um, the CDC decided in 2016 that they were going to fix the issue by issuing prescribing guidelines about opioids. Now, the CDC had never really taken on this before. Previously, guidelines had been something made by pain specialists because crazy thought those are the ones who would use them. Um, for the CDC made the guidelines. Um, the people involved weren't the best ones to be put in charge. They're more addiction specialists, and they had some associations with some organizations that are less than ethical. And that was the guidelines. The guidelines, they said on the front of it, 90 MME, that's the limit, which is 90 morphine medical equivalents. But what it really happened was, and I'm not sure this was intended by the CDC at all to be completely fair to them. It became something like a, a trade like a law instead of just an advisory uh, bit of executive agency guidance. And that kind of started this effort by state legislatures, state medical boards, um, national law enforcement agencies, and hospital systems to try to solve the overdose crisis by coming down hard on doctors and patients. And at first we thought maybe this might work, but it's been five years later. We are getting studies almost every single day, at least every week, that shows that all the previous assumptions about opioids leading to addiction or opioids leading to harm turns out not really to be the case. And for this, not only are millions of Americans, people with cancer, veterans, African-Americans especially, are without access to pain treatment. At the same time, addiction rates are surging and we have uh, 80,000 people now dying a year. And that was before COVID set in. There's a, I'll, I'll add it here with my blur, but there is a great stat in the article that I got from uh, some uh, pain researchers and it shows the study. It was from 2013 to 2019, six years. They found that the uh, rates of a damage and overdose by fentanyl, which is the main problem, had increased 11-fold, over 1,000% in that time frame. So the, the good efforts by the CDC and public health to try to fix this issue has done exactly the opposite of what they were trying to do. This just was a, a mess on so many levels, as you've reported. You, you cite the author, Gerald Posner, that uh, he says that there were some prescribing practices that needed to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So rural areas were impacted. Poor economic areas really got the brunt of this. Has this changed? Are there prescribing practices that are changing? Are some of these rural areas, notably Ohio and uh, West Virginia, is are the pill mills in business still? Are they out of business? Where where does that stand? Uh, mixed news, Dr. Sally Sattel, who is an addiction specialist, and she's so serious about this issue, she actually moved to one of these uh, industrial Ohio towns that are on their last legs. And, and she looked into the issue. As far as we can tell, because it's hard to tell uh, you know, unless you visit them, so we can only really look at uh, rest reports, what's reported in the media about what law enforcement is doing. As far as we can tell, most of the pill mills are gone and the pharmacies that worked with them. Um, occasionally, you will see one that pops up that uh, people weren't totally aware of. There's one in California that showed up about two weeks ago. But for the most part, prescribing those excessive, really bad uh, prescribers 
are pretty much out of there. They're pretty much done for the most part. Uh, and right now, prescribing it for those that are able to get pain medication is almost exclusively now with uh, pain specialists, what few there are in the country, that there's less of those every day. And um, sometimes uh, if you get surgery, they will allow people who's gone in surgery to have a few days aftercare, not really too much. So prescribing right now is at its lowest. Uh, it's been in like 20 years. Hi, it's Paul. We'll be right back with guest Peter Von Pischke. But I want to share with you a great deal for our Not Old Better Show audience from sponsor Feels. 50% off. That's quite an offer. Listen to this. If you experience sleeplessness, chronic pain, or anxiety, trust me, you are not alone. Here in our household with Gretchen teaching adult ballet classes and me working hard on my podcast, there's lots of stress and lots of sleepless nights. We looked and looked for good, well-intentioned, and accurately dosed solutions and have settled on CBD oil as the best way to help us. It's been great for Gretchen's sore ankles, knees, and back after a grueling week of teaching dance. For me, after my workouts and exercises, I needed something to help with the stiffness too and feels CBD oil has really met our needs. If you look into the health benefits from CBD oil, you'll find, as we did, that you're really getting so many improved health-related improvements to mobility, anxiety, and stress. CBD makes you feel better naturally as it regulates your cannabinoid system and it's not addictive. It's not a crutch. It just helps your body function better when it comes to pain, stress, sleeplessness, and anxiety. We take it daily by placing a few drops of Feels CBD oil under our tongue and we feel the difference within minutes with the effects being profound. Gretchen's teaching multiple classes daily and her hips and back are sore. Feels CBD oil helps her rest, recover, and bounce back fully also, letting her sleep pain-free. It's been a wonderful way for her to feel better naturally. I've decided to partner with Feels CBD Oil for sponsoring the podcast as I've been careful in evaluating each potential CBD brand and Feels offers the best dosage mechanism with specific doses built right into the dropper and easy to follow instructions. So many brands approach me and I just felt, especially after Gretchen's real world success, that Feels met all my criteria. Feels is full spectrum, organic, tested for purity, and it actually makes us feel better with full benefits after we use it. It's important to remember that CBD oil works differently for everyone based on your own cannabinoid system, and you'll want to try and experiment to reach the results you're after. Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. Now, the Not Old Better Show audience can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. Feels' monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Become a member and get 50% off your first order. Here's how. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash not old better and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's Feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash not old better to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash not old better. All of this is going to be in our show notes today, but definitely try it out for a month. See how it works by using our code. See the differences immediately with feels. That's F-E-A-L-S. And you'll find out more in our show notes today. 
And now back to Peter Pischke and his reporting on a painful struggle. Opioids can be dangerous, but restrictions or a ban are worse. Peter Pischke is here with us today. We're talking about the opioid crisis. You say, too, in the article, which I thought was really uh, very, very telling, that uh, Congress really, whether it's uh, addiction or pain, they're out of their element, yet they're the ones charging with the charged possible with solving this issue. Where do things stand with the Congress at this point? I mean, look, this, it's not a surprise. I think all Americans kind of notice this, whether it's in the sphere of science or medicine or elsewhere. There is a sort of apathy in our society to try to uh, fix things that are mistakes or problems. Um, it's very difficult right now to get the CDC on record in any way, and it's even more difficult to get Congress to recognize the issue appropriately. There are some people in Congress that are willing to do that. There are some bills that possibly might help. In the article I mentioned, CARE Act 2.0, that would have extended a three-day limit, which would have been uh, – it would have – caused problems. Well, that has already been changed partly because of the article and partly because of pressure from um, top organizations like the National Pain Council. But no, Congress, for the most part, is not taking this seriously, but there should be a surprise to anyone that they don't take real issues all as seriously as they probably should. How about the CDC? Are they taking this seriously now? They really, you charge almost that they, they've enabled in many ways this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where where do where does the CBC, CDC stand in uh, in this at this point? Yeah, so we for the New York we at the New York Daily News we investigate this article over months and we fact check this thing to high heaven. Um, what we found in investigating with the CDC is tragic. It is tragic for all the experts, for all the advocates, the patients, uh, people from both sides of the issue. They can see the CDC um, in twenty nineteen under intense pressure from mostly American Medical Association are like, we're getting reports every day from patients that have been abandoned. And then we have all these doctors that belong to organization. They're saying, hey, I, I, I got kicked out of my job. I lost my license. I was just trying to follow basic standard practices. Um, so the CDC in 2019 in December agreed to do a revision, to put it together a new opioids work group, and then they would put together a new guideline. And that would be the first step to trying to fix this uh, mess. It was the soft opioid prohibition, which has unfortunately become more formalized. Unfortunately, as you see in the article, and it was part of the inspiration for what we were uh, writing about there, was that something happened during COVID that the people who were responsible in the CDC lost their authority or basically just turned into an advisory board. And instead, it went to the the parent organization, which was the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control. And I've talked a lot of scientists about this, and there are very few people who have a lot of good words to say about the NCIPC. One person told me pretty bluntly after they worked with them that, you know, they mean well sometimes, but honestly, this is where uh, solutions go to die. And so in that February 16th meeting, people come to it. There, there are thousands of specialist experts, people who are watching this meeting, expecting to hear, okay, when are we going to get this new guideline? How is the CDC going to fix it? They're very excited. The work group that they had put together in 2020 included addiction specialists, pain specialists, advocates, patients themselves, 
people were really jazzed and, and excited about this. And what happened was it was like if you've ever seen that video of the the uh, jet that goes into the cement wall and you watch it slowly dissolve, it was kind of like that. <laughs> um, and the, the, the NCIPC made it very clear that they do not take this issue seriously, neither the prohibition and patient abandonment or nor the overdose deaths. So and they, they, to give you an example of how little they cared about. Let about 10 minutes, a little less, went to talking about the work group. And all we found out was the work group had met twice and they hadn't even chosen the language that they were going to use with, for working to put together documentation. So it's like they hadn't even chosen the drapes. And, uh, and 10 minutes was spent on that. Right afterwards, and this is kind of sickening to some people. They spent 30 minutes congratulating each other, like, oh, Dr. So-and-so, you guys, you handle all this so well. I am so impressed. Isn't that great? And then they turn, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, you too, you have done just amazing work handling these crises. And uh, <laughs> people were not people were not happy. I, I talked to uh, several work group members afterwards, and they were shocked. They told me that they had not even been informed of the meeting beforehand. They had no idea everything had changed so much. Um, when I talked to some of these people, I don't, I don't want to name them because I want to I uh, give them the anonymity that at least they have left. Um, I sent them the article. Usually if I get something wrong or uh, they feel that I am – not being as accurate as I can be when I write and talk about the opioid crisis. They'll say, hey, Pete, this isn't right. This isn't right. Go look at this. None of that happened when they when they got back to me after reading the article. Not a one said, oh, Pete, you got this wrong. This was off basis. Uh, no, that this the CDC um, under the auspices of the NCIPC are will not take the issue of the guidelines seriously. Pay News Network has looked into this more. The CC will not tell us who is writing the guidelines, which is a red flag right away. Um, with the first guidelines, they took a lot of pressure and work to get even the names of the people working on it. And it's likely the same people that wrote the first guidelines are going to be writing the second. Uh, and of course, the work group now is just an advisory board. So it's likely the CDC is just going to double down on all the bad policy decisions which to those people who watch this issue uh, is just devastating, just devastating. There's no other word for it, uh, how they describe to me their feelings and concerns. So th this is this has led to what you refer to the, as the new gospel of total opioid prohibition. And you refer to uh, – we, we've talked a little bit about um, the rural communities being impacted greatly by this, African-American communities, other communities. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can tell us – what does it mean to have this prohibition in place and particularly talk to my audience, the audience of the, the aging population? How are how are we being impacted by this lack of, of pain medication, this inability to get it? So this is how I started my reporting um, on the opioid crisis. So I came from this issue when I started to hear about it. Um, we started first hearing about the prohibition really after just after the 2016 CDC guidelines were enacted and slowly but surely – uh, particular at state legislatures, new, very strict and punitive medical access laws were passed for patients trying to access opioids. Um, day limits is only just one version of it. But it's this multi-swath of laws and regulations coming from both federal, state, and sometimes even local that makes it 
nigh impossible for most physicians to be able to prescribe a pain medicine without putting their career at some risk. And I have family members that are um, in the medical uh, uh, professions. I have a family member that's at medical school right now. I've talked to people who teach medical school and they they tell me, you know, it's off the books, but right now they they warn students at medical schools to stay away from pain medicine and addiction medicine, particularly chronic pain management, because the danger to your career is going to be so high. At the same time, you know, you'll have patients that come to you for help and you won't be able to help them as you normally would like. And so they're going to be, you know, raining hot fury on you. At the same time, you have the state medical boards coming down on you. You have your hospital system. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy to give you an idea of how out of control. Um, and I, I know the prohibition, it might be a shock term to some people, uh, during that 2019 meeting in December, when the CDC said, you know, uncle, and we are going to fix this. Dr. Roger Cho, he gave this incredible statement. It, it really was just, psh. he said, and this is the guy that was the main author for the 2016 CDC guidelines. Okay. He, he, he's the one that did most of the language. It's his name next to it. It's his name. People will remember with it. He said that he himself had gotten in trouble for overprescribing for his patients. He was sent missives from, uh, I believe, his state medical board and his hospital system for overprescribing. And when they send him these, these letters, they cite the 2016 CC guideline dash dot dash Dr. Roger Cho. Uh, that it, it, and he was, I mean – that says a lot to me how out of control it is. And unfortunately, um, this you would say, well, aren't this person, aren't these people allowed? Aren't these people allowed? But I mean, it's gotten tighter and tighter. I have talked to families who have end stage cancer who were denied medication, and this doctor would literally say, I've heard this so many times, I don't want to get you addicted. Now, that's insane if someone is dying from <laughs> late stage bone cancer or something. Why would you say that? You know, the WHO and the World Health Organization, they said with their guidelines that came out at the end of last year that children with cancer should not be allowed access to opioids unless they are dying. And there are statements like that that you do not believe until you read them. And then you begin to realize that things have gotten wildly out of control. You have this great line in the article. You say, America, open your eyes. The damage inflicted on innocent and law-abiding American patients is profound. Bring us current here to what can we do at this point to move this to a place where we've got some middle ground, where we've got some opportunity to not live in the total opioid prohibition world, but that patients that need the medication are getting it. Yeah. So I mean, the biggest step, I think the biggest reason why this issue is so hard to solve is that of any group of people that um, you might come down on and things don't come out uneven and you wouldn't have to worry about them uh, causing a fuss are people who are disabled, are people who have cancer, have chronic pain. These are people who with pain medication have a limited mobility and ability to get out and express themselves without pain medication you have consigned millions of people to their homes and they aren't really able to get out or talk about this issue so the most important thing is that people need to discuss this issue discuss these concerns um 
I, I don't want to get um, uh, advocate here if I can, but you know, if I was, I would say talk to your state legislatures, uh, maybe keep an eye on the state medical boards. I wish, I would hope Congress would take this issue seriously. I would hope that with enough attention or public pressure, the CDC would take this more seriously. As of now, and I have tried contacting the CDC, I, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many times now, uh, they will refuse to give an answer. They refuse to give an answer. So I have no idea actually what would have to happen to get the CDC themselves to give uh, an honest response to the article or these concerns. But uh, maybe one of your listeners can figure it out because I certainly can't. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter Pischke, thank you for your time. Peter Pischke is an independent journalist covering health and disability. Peter Pischke is the host of the Happy Warrior podcast. We're going to put links up to where you got it. Got it. Where you can find out more information about Peter Pischke in the Happy Warrior podcast, as well as the article in the uh, New York Daily News. And the title of the article, again, is A Painful Struggle. Opioids can be dangerous, but restrictions or a ban are worse. Peter Pischke, we'd love to have you back to update us a little bit on this article. But, of course, healthcare disabilities are all important issues to our audience. So as you do more work, please consider us to pop back in and, and uh, check in with us and uh, give us your take on some of these issues. We'd love to talk again. Oh, I would be honored to. I would definitely consider that. Thank you. My thanks to Peter Von Pischke for his generous time and excellent reporting today. My thanks to Fields for sponsoring today's show. Please support our sponsors. My thanks as well to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please join me next time. Be safe. Be healthy. I hope you're listening today as you're waiting in line for your vaccine. And remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. And now the statement from the CDC. The CDC's response to the opioid overdose epidemic. Drug overdoses have dramatically increased over the last two decades, with deaths increasing more than four times between 1999 and 2017. In 2017, more than 70,000 people died from drug overdoses, making it a leading cause of injury-related death in the United States. Of those deaths, about 68% involved a prescription or illicit opioid. Adults between the ages of 25 and 64 years old have the highest rates of opioid overdose deaths. CDC's work to prevent opioid overdoses and other opioid-related harms starts in 2006 when the CDC initiated efforts to better track and understand data related to the growing opioid overdose epidemic. A scientist from CDC noticed an uptick in poisoning deaths and heard troubling news from state medical examiners about increases in drug overdose deaths. Prescription opioids were identified as the primary concern. Since then, the CDC has provided leadership by promoting a public health approach to the problem. In fiscal year 2019, the CDC received $475 million for opioid overdose prevention and surveillance activities, with the majority of these funds supporting state-based preventive efforts. Programs across CDC are working to prevent opioid overdoses and other opioid-related harms, including opioid use disorder, hepatitis and HIV infections, and neonatal abstinence syndrome. Thank you.